gosh, all right. Well, let's take our Bibles and let's go to 1 Peter, all right, 1 Peter. Uh, we took a little bit of a break through our study of the book of 1 Peter to navigate the holiday season, preach through different messages concerning that, but we're going to get back to it, all right? On this first Sunday of the new year, back to 1 Peter. So go with me back to 1 Peter chapter number 3 is where we'll be. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7 in just a moment. But uh, as you find your place there, just keep in mind and be reminded once again that Peter is uh, he's writing to this for this purpose really, to strengthen the brethren. He's writing to strengthen the brethren just as Jesus told him to do in Luke 22, 32 when Jesus looked eyeball to eyeball with Peter and said, When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so Peter is doing just that. He's writing these epistles, these letters to strengthen the brethren. But uh, the question needs to be asked, why do they need strength at this time? Why do the brethren need help? Why do they need strength? Well, again, keep in mind that this time during the first century, these believers, new believers, were really going through the ringer. Uh, they were facing great persecution. They were suffering great loss. They were being hauled off to prison, no doubt being tortured, and yes, even being put to death, all from the cruel hand of Nero at this time. So yes, they need strength to face these uncertain days that they were living but the strength they needed was not going to come in a form of a physical strength or even a financial strength or from a military strength, a political strength, though no doubt that would have been welcomed. But that's not the strength they needed. The strength was not going to come from any man. Rather, it was going to, be, it was going to come from God Almighty. And it was going to come, the strength was going to be found in the eternal word of God as Peter would sit down and write to them, and give them great hope. Great hope. A hope just through the fiery trials that was to try them. Hope through the pain. Hope just for the very next day. He's writing to give them hope. And keep in mind this hope that we have been speaking of is not some uh, let's cross our fingers. And uh, uh, let, let's, let's uh, uh, wish this to be. Or let's cast a coin in the wishing well and just hope this all works out, right? That's not, that is not hope. No, rather the hope that we have as believers and the hope that God Almighty gives is this. It's a confident, listen carefully, maybe you write it down again. It's a confident assurance that is based upon the promises and person of God himself. That is real hope. And these first century believers, they really needed it and needed it badly. But guess what? Though the first century needed, needed it, we need it as well. And the good news is for us that we can still find that same great hope that they had and that they found from the same great source. And it's found in the Word of God. So you need to hope today. You need some help today, strength today. You're going to find it in the Word. So get in it. Read it, study it, obey it, live it. And you'll find yourself gaining strength day by day, moment by moment. You can still trust your Bible. So keep all that in mind when we go through the epistles of Peter that he's writing to strengthen the brethren, all right? Now as we come back to our text this morning, be reminded that Peter is continuing this emphasis 
If you remember, it was this emphasis on submission, right? Now, I understand when we hear that word submission, of course, we already talked about just a smidge, but when we hear that word submission, we automatically want to turn off our ears and tune out our hearts to what the Bible has to say concerning this subject. Why? Well, nobody wants to hear about that. Nobody wants to be told to submit. No one wants to hear the need to submit. Why? Well, because, again, submission goes against the very fiber of our fallen nature. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're so full of pride. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do, and we don't want to submit to nothing. And you can say, amen or old me, but you know it's true, you see. But submission is still something that we all, all, all of us must do. Even as Peter, no doubt, writing this letter and uh, has an emphasis on submission, even Peter knows himself that the, the pain of pride can cause and the failure of submission can bring about. He knows this because he did a lot of foolish and hurtful things in his life. But one that almost takes the cake, I guess, is that time and moment when Jesus had that precious time with, with uh, the disciples at the Last Supper. And, and it was there that Jesus was explaining to them and encouraging them, telling them what's about to happen. How Jesus was going to give his body to be broken. And how he's going to shed his blood for the remission or for the forgiveness of sins. He was going to die, but three days later rise again from the grave. He had that precious moment with the disciples. And then Jesus told them, told them this. You all, all disciples, all of you are going to be offended because of me this night. What did Peter say? Peter said, the way everybody else is going to be offended, all these other rascals, Lord, that other disciples will be offended. I will never be offended. But Jesus said before the cock crow, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. And we know the rest of the story. How Peter denied Jesus three times and that last time he did so with some very strong language. That was a failure, no doubt, in his life. And every failure of Peter's life can be traced back to a failure <clears throat> to do this, to submit. To submit to the Lord, to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to submit to His Word. The failure to submit. So God help us be people who willingly submit ourselves unto the Lord and whatever He has, has for us. So as we continue this theme here, and this subject of submission, as Peter is continuing his epistle here as we come to chapter number 3, I want to encourage you highly to chuck your pride. Yes, that's a Greek word, chuck it. All right, just chuck it. Chuck your pride and come close to your Bible. And I want you to listen to what God has to say. Will you do that? I encourage you highly to do so. So let's continue the theme of submission. And as we do, remember so far, we have seen the importance of submission as a citizen in chapter number 2. We have seen the importance of submission as a servant again in chapter number 2. And as we come to chapter number 3 and continue this study through the book of the Bible, we see the importance of this type of submission, the submission as a spouse. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> The submission, the importance of submission as a spouse. Now, when you hear that title, there's one or two things that may happen. For some, maybe you got a little excited. <laughs> and you're thankful that you brought your wife to church today. 
thinking that the preacher's going to straighten her out. Guess again, all right? That ain't what this is about. Others of you still, maybe you heard that title of being submission as a spouse, and you got a little heartburn thinking that the preacher is going to be demeaning and crude and demand of you to obey your husband in everything, do everything he says, obey his every will and command, and basically be treated like a religious doormat. Of course, in the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> Again, you're wrong. That's not what this is all about. And that's not what the Bible is teaching here. So when you hear the title, it'll be in being in submission as a spouse, please don't think that. Because it's not just the wife in the marriage relationship we're going to consider. We're going to look at the husband as well. So we're going to look at that today. So again, as we come to it, knowing what we're going to consider, I want to encourage you, open your Bible, open your mind and open your heart to the Word of God and allow the Lord to show you, to teach you, to instruct you, to convict you. And God help us to be people who are submissive unto the Lord and His, and His Word. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at it with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair, or wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. My favorite verse. Just kidding. All right, anyway. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Our Father, as we look to your word this morning, I pray that you help us to have again an open mind, open heart to your word, and help us to be obedient and submissive to you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first thing I'd like for us to consider this morning on the submission as a spouse is this. Number one, we're going to consider the submission of the wife. And this is probably where we're going to land for today. Uh, time is going to escape me, all right, uh, to get to the rest of it. But as uh, Paul Harvey once said, we'll finish the rest of the story next Sunday, all right? But this is where we'll be for today. So number one, if you're taking notes, write down this, the submission of the wife. Now, as we consider this, I think it'd be good for us to keep in mind the historical context of this book of the Bible. We need to understand that in the first century of the Greco-Roman rule and culture of that day, understand something, women received very little to no respect whatsoever. You see, at this time, women were considered just mere property in many people's eyes. Also, if you entered into the political arena, they were considered just simple pawns to gain 
more power with other countries. Hence why you had several leaders have multiple wives because they were trying to again gain power with other countries. And that's what they used them for. It's awful, but that's what happened. Also at this time, during this, during this time, they were considered just mere servants within the household. And even the laws of the land would echo these very thoughts that were behind them. You see, there was even a Roman law called the Patria Potestas. No, I did not say it right, but that's how it looks to me in my redneck Appalachian English, all right? But this law would mean the father's power. And this law would grant the husband or the father of the home the legal right of life or death, especially over his children, but even over their spouses as well. Maybe that's where the whole, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out came from. I don't know. But anyway, but they had this law at this time that gave this kind of power legally to the man of the home. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think that would be an absolute terrible law in this day in which we live? Anybody? One, three, four, seven. Okay. Yes, that's a terrible law. Uh, to have. I'm glad we live in a country that don't have that kind of law. I'm thankful for a country whose forefathers who got their governmental ideology largely from the Word of God, the sanctity of life, you see. But I'm thankful that we don't have those kind of laws. But this one would have been a horrible one. But understand, at this time in the first century, this is the Roman culture and women were treated very poorly. Now, with all of that in mind, just as a quick glimpse at the culture, keep this in mind on top of it. Keep in mind that at this time, if a woman, if a wife heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he died for her, how he, how he was buried for her, how he rose again from the grave for her, and she heard about the gospel, heard of the love of God, then believed the gospel, called upon Jesus to save her. She got saved and her life began to change, which caused her life to turn from those false and dead gods of her previous pagan religion that, by the way, her family would still be currently in. How do you think she would be treated then, especially with the rise of persecution against the believers. It's already poor to begin with. And now you got persecution. It'd be really difficult at this time. So yes, they were treated quite poorly to say the least. And so in this immediate context, this is what Peter, or who Peter rather, is writing to. He's writing to these ladies, these wives who have come to know Jesus as their Savior, yet to have family that have not yet believed on the Lord, especially the husbands. Now again, this would not be an uncommon theme during this time frame. For uh, many times you can see within an unsaved family unit that it would be the ladies in the New Testament who would be the first ones to believe on the Lord as their Savior. 
You can see that when you turn in your Bibles to John chapter number 4 with the woman at the well. Remember it was there after this lady had an encounter with the Lord Jesus that she went back to her city and began to tell all the people and tell the men of that encounter with the Lord. And the Bible says this in John 4, 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, on Jesus, for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So the Samaritans came unto him. They besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, but we have heard him ourselves, and we know it to be indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You can look again at another example in the New Testament in Acts chapter number 16 at Lydia at Philippi. Remember, this is when Paul and Silas were led of the Holy Ghost to come into the area of Macedonia, which uh, would have been the modern-day Europe, all right? But it was on their missionary journey as they entered into this city of Philippi that they came to the riverside. It was at the riverside that there was several ladies having a prayer meeting. And at this meeting, Paul and Silas began to speak to the people, began to speak to, speak to the ladies about the Lord. And here's what the Bible says. Acts 16, verse 14 through 15, A certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, and her, here it is, household. Understand, it was her that believed on Jesus first. It was her that was saved first. And then she was able to lead her household to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But then just before they departed, just a quick side note, uh, departed Philippi, uh, Paul and Silas after they were beaten, after they were imprisoned, you know that story. After all that, they came back by Lydia's household, which I believe probably where the, the church of Philippi started there. But they came back by to encourage those believers. It's kind of amazing. You can also see another instance in Scripture where, where Lois and Eunice, remember this was the mother and grandmother of Timothy, but what does the Bible say about them? Well, in Acts 16, 1, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. Now, many people believe when it says his father was a Greek here, many believe this is referring to not only his nationality, but, of course, his spirituality as well, meaning his father was an unbeliever, yet his mother Believed his mother was a saved woman, and because she was a saved woman, here's what she did. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that from a child, he's writing to Timothy, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Who taught Timothy the Bible? Who was it that read him the scriptures and taught him the scriptures? It was his mother and his grandmother. Look, there's other examples we could, we could look at to, and look to this morning, but I say all that and point these examples out to say this. Within a family dynamic, there can be a spouse that is saved and another one that is not. This is very common in the first century, and listen, it still happens in the 21st century as well. I'm sure some of you can say that you are a first-generation Christian, meaning your, your parents are not believers. Grandparents may not be believers. But you can know Jesus as Savior. You're a first-generation Christian. Well, that happened a lot in the first century, obviously. But it still happens even today. And with that dynamic, within a household, 
there can bring and have about some difficulties, yes. But listen, here's what I'm getting to. There can be great opportunities as well. And here is that opportunity that I believe Peter is trying to emphasize. Look again at your Bible and verse number, verse number 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, meaning the husbands that are not obeying the word, meaning they're not saved, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Listen, the emphasis was not just to submit for submission's sake, but there was a greater purpose behind it. There's a greater emphasis behind it, if you will, and that is this, that the unbelieving husband, the unbelieving family member, will come to know Jesus as their Savior. Now look again at verse number 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So listen, this morning, if you're here this morning, and you may have a spouse that's unsaved, we can be a little broader and say family member, but in immediate context, it's talking about spouse. If you have a spouse, family member that's unsaved, then listen, you have a great opportunity to point them to Jesus Christ. A great opportunity. And yes, I understand, again, we're talking about wives to husbands, but again, there's a bigger picture. We all have a great opportunity to point our unsaved loved ones to, to the Lord, but how do we do that? Well, Peter begins to tell them how to point them to Jesus. And here it is. And it's found in verse number 2. Look at it with me. While they behold your chaste, what's the next word? All right. Got your Bibles open, say amen. Okay, look at it again, verse number two. When I stop, you say the next word. While they behold your chaste conversation. Now, conversation here does not mean just how we communicate with our words. It's not just referring to something uh, or how we talk to someone, rather. No, it's much larger than that. He is talking about how we live. He is encompassing all of life, meaning in every manner of life, all conducts of life, and all behaviors of life, and everything of life, that is what he's referring to when he says, your conversation. But what is that conversation supposed to look like? Uh, what, is, what is that life that, that, that uh, has the opportunity to win a loved one to Jesus or point a lost spouse to to Jesus, what does that look like? Well, he begins to address some of those things of what that looks like, that chaste conversation looks like. First thing he points to is this. Number one, I'm going to try to move quicker, all right, but listen, listen closely, and I will. But number one, he points to this. Number one, he points to the outside or the adornment of the wife. Again, look at verse number three. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. Now, when you read that, you may be thinking, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Preacher's going to tell me what I can and cannot wear. <laughs> and that it's a sin to wear makeup, or it's a sin to braid my hair, or it's a sin to wear nice clothes, or it's a sin to have nice jewelry, so forth and so on. No. 
That is not what the Bible is teaching, emphasizing, nor will the preacher. Besides, I'm smarter than I look, okay? Besides, I think if you're able and like to do that, then I think you should take care of yourself. I think you should, if you like to, I think you should take care of your hair. I think if you want to, want to wear makeup, go for it. Which, by the way, ladies, makeup is an advantage that we men do not have. You see, if um, you, I'm choosing my words very carefully, if you deem an area of your face that may seem as a blemish to you, well then, what do you do? You put some makeup on, yes? Okay. Well, guess what? We guys don't have that advantage. So guys, if you ugly, you ugly. All right? <laughs> so you better work on your personality or your bank accounts. That's all I got to say. All right? For me, I grew a beard so I can cover up as much ugly as I can. Okay? <laughs> but again, that's not, that's not what the Bible is talking about here. It's not prohibiting these things. It's not prohibiting a lady from taking care of herself and looking nice. That is not what it's saying. Look again at verse number 3. Who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. He is not prohibiting, he's not prohibiting women from taking care of themselves or prohibiting of them styling their hair or wearing jewelry or prohibiting them from wearing nice clothing. The emphasis is not on don't do these things. Rather, the main emphasis that he is placing here is this. Don't make the outward appearance the main focus, the main emphasis, and the main object of you pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ or of pointing, rather, your husband, your unsaved spouse to the Lord. Again, keep in mind, we're talking about the Roman culture, all right? And during this time period of Roman culture, the women were preoccupied many times, really rather devoted to the superficial and shallow adornment of their culture. Meaning, for many ladies, the outside is all they cared about. That's it. That's all they cared about. And sadly, on a side note, sadly, in our social media-driven age, many young women and, yes, even men are lured into that same trap always trying to compare themselves to some superficial and fake model they see in some magazine or on some social media outlet. Which, by the way, I say fake because every single picture you see in these magazines or on social media, they're going to be photoshopped and with filters, all right, before they post them. And therefore, it ain't real. I want to encourage you highly as a friend and because I love you. Stop comparing yourself to a fake Barbie. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I got three amens. I'll take them. Stop comparing yourself to a fake Barbie because it will cause you to hate yourself, potentially do harm to yourself. It will cause you to fall into a pit of discouragement and even depression, thinking you are never enough. Stop it. Don't compare yourself with anyone else. Besides, the Bible says it's not wise to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. 
So don't compare yourself to anybody else, especially some fake Barbie on social media. Because my friend, listen, you are fearfully and wonderfully made just the way that you are. So therefore, find your value. Find your worth. Not in social media that's not real anyway, but in your creator that is. Find your value in your Savior. Find your worth in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in something that's superficial and fake like the hearts and clicks and likes of social media. Amen. <laughs> but anyway, at this moment, like I said, a side note, I had to chase that rabbit, man. I had to. I'm sorry, okay? I actually, I don't apologize enough. But at this moment, the culture was driving women to believe that their external appearance was all that mattered, that the outside apparel was all that mattered. And folks, we know that a person, we know this, we know that a person can look right, dress right, and act like right all on the outside, but ain't right on the inside. Now, I know that don't fly very well in England with English, but you understand here in the mountains of western North Carolina exactly what I'm talking about. Because we know that the outside is not as important. Does it reflect the inside it should? Yes. But the emphasis and the importance is not the outside that the culture would paint and point to, but rather the emphasis is this. Number two, the inside. Look at verse number four. But let it be, let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So instead of being so consumed with the external appearance only, Peter encourages these Christian ladies, these Christian wives to devote themselves to beautifying the hidden man of the heart. Instead of being characterized by the fleeting fashions of the culture and of the day, Peter encourages these ladies to adorn themselves with the lovely beauty of godliness. Notice some of the words that he uses here in his text to describe that internal beauty and that adorning. He uses a word like this, meek, in verse number 4. He says, a meek and quiet spirit. Now, when he says meek here, this is not referring to someone who is just simply weak. But remember, meekness is not weakness. Do you remember who the meekest in all the earth was? Starts with the M, ends with the Oses. Moses, that's right. Moses was the meekest of all the earth. The Bible says in Numbers 12, 3, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. But we also know about Moses. He was not a weak man. If you ever look at a fellow who killed another individual with bare hands and buried him in the desert, you would not say, oh, that fellow's weak. No, because if you said that, you next, all right? No, he was not weak whatsoever. He was not weak as he went up to the most powerful man in all the earth at that time to Pharaoh and time after time after time saying, let my people go. That's not a weak man. 
He's not a weak man if he leads some one, two, maybe even more million Hebrews through the desert to the edge of the promised land. That is not a weak man. But the Bible does say he was, he was meek though. So this word meek is not referring to someone who is weak and especially in the context of a woman being a weak woman. Rather, this word would be referring to a willing, listen, a willing humbleness, a gentle spirit, a gentle attitude. And this spirit, by the way, will be the complete opposite of being pushy and or bossy because, listen, that kind of spirit, Pushy and bossy doesn't win anyone over. Rather, it will repel them. So understand, it takes a lot of strength to be meek. Then Peter not only points to a meek spirit that's of great beauty and value, but he points to this as well, a quiet spirit. Look at your Bibles again. Look at verse number four. But let it be. Let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. A quiet spirit. Now what is this? This would be a tranquil spirit or a stillness, if you will. And again, this type of spirit would be the complete opposite of nagging. And nagging does not, again, win anyone over, especially, especially a husband. Rather, it would repel. And so Peter is pointing to the real emphasis. If you want to develop something, you want to emphasize something, let it be that hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible. Develop that. Why? Because it is far more valuable Anything else you can put on the outside. Just as the Bible says, even the ornament, verse number four, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which, which is in the sight of God, here it is, of great price. Meaning, you can't put a price on it. You might can put a price on your designer outfit and the most expensive makeup and the most expensive whatever you fill in the blank. You can put a price on it, you can buy it. But this is price Less. It's of great value, especially in the sight of God. So understand, this inner spirit, this inner beauty, that is what Peter was pointing to that will win over their lost family, especially in the context their lost spouse. That's what points to the love of Jesus Christ. I like what one commentator, one preacher said on this, uh, on this point, on these verses, and I want to quote what he said, just kind of the sum up the whole synopsis of it. But he said this, It is certainly possible for a woman's appearance to be so unkept and unadorned as to discourage her husband, to whom such indifference in the name of Christ would make the gospel offense and be just as spiritually detrimental as too much attention given to the externals. But... The Lord is most pleased when a believing lady's modest yet thoughtful and lovely adornment reflects the inner beauty Christ has fashioned in her. That's what he's pointing to. Pointing to Christ. Pointing to the Lord. You see the culture of the day? Pointing to themselves. It's all about me, me, me. But after you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it's no longer about you. 
It's about the Lord and what He can do through you and for others. So that's what the emphasis is. The inner man developing such a value, a value there. So listen, Peter, he's writing to some Christian wives who are going through some turbulent times, not only as a believer, but just as a simple woman in that culture and that day. But the instruction that he gives, especially as the lady desires to win her family, desires to win her husband, the instruction that he gives is this, a humble submission that would reflect the inner beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. See, too many times when we hear the word again, hear the word submission, it's, we get it all out of whack. Maybe you heard some bad preaching on it or bad teaching on it. I don't know. But all this, the submission should reflect Christ in our lives to point others to him. That's the emphasis of it all. And so we're seeing the submission as a spouse. And today we saw it concerning the wife. Now next Sunday... We're going, to cons- we're going to see this considering the husbands. Buckle up, fellas. I'm a lot harder on the guys than I am the, the girls, all right? So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. But I encourage you, all of us, of course, to be in submission. And, and yes, even the Bible says be in submission one to another in, in the marriage relationship. It really does. You can go to Ephesians. We didn't go there because that's not the exact context of what Paul was writing about, as Peter is. But anyway, be submission one to another. But I encourage you to do that. And maybe you're here this, this morning and you have some family that maybe even a very, very much your spouse that either does not know the Lord or is far from Him. We're not going to win Him by continually to push His buttons and continue to nag Him. It ain't going to happen. But once He, as Peter says, beholds as He sees the conversation, your life, your living, how you respond, as he sees that coupled with fear, he will begin to turn to the Lord. So I encourage you. Be in submission, number one, to the Lord. That's how to start. Let's just do what the Bible simply teaches and says. Let's look at it again. Let's read it. We'll be done. Start in verse number one. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, the old time, the holy women also... Who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers 